We'll be in Mark chapter 12 this morning, if you want to turn there. Continuing our way through the Gospel of Mark. This would be Tuesday of Holy Week uh, in the timeline, and this is a day of much controversy in the life of Christ. Um, and the, te- the text today uh, has some layers to it. And so before we read it, let me give you a, just a quick background. Uh, so if, if one of the really important things to keep in mind about what it was like to be um, Jewish and in Jerusalem on this particular day is that um, although they were allowed to, they were practicing Judaism and they were doing all their normal things, they were under Roman rule. Rome ruled this territory, and a part of that was, uh, was paying a tax to Caesar. And this was a source of a lot of bitterness to um, pretty much everyone in, in Israel. Uh, it was a financial burden. Um, it was a reminder that they were under Roman occupation and that they were not truly free. And that was a shot at their identity because they thought, we're God's people, we're in the promised land, we should not have anyone over us. And so this tax was this reminder uh, that was very much resented. Uh, some people wanted to uh, use this tax as a reason to revolt and to, uh, to riot and to push back against Rome and to overthrow them. Um, others wanted to go along with it because they had found a way to profit off of it, like uh, tax collectors and people like that. Um, but most folks really were like, we don't know how to feel about this, this tax and paying this tax to Caesar. And so the question that is posed to Jesus on this day is a very normal, it was a very just normal part of their culture. It was a hot button issue. And so the religious leaders had been conspiring to try to trip Jesus up so that they could have him killed. And they thought, hey, this is, this is a great, this is like an unanswerable question. This will definitely mess him up. Uh, let's, let's go with this one. And so that's a very quick bit of the background. But just know that paying this tax was a huge, huge issue. Um, so look at verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, which is, uh, which is the coin, and let me look at it. And they brought him one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Okay, so before, before we look at his, his ultimate answer, um, a, a couple of quick things. Um, if, if Jesus were to, uh, if he were to say, pay the tax, that would be him aligning himself with Rome, and the people would revolt against him. If he says, don't pay the tax, then he's breaking the law, and, which, and then Rome could kill him. And so it's, 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 a good, it's a good question. They finally come up with one that's like actually pre- pretty good. Uh, and so uh, before he gives his answer, he says, show me, show me one of the, the coins. And so we have a picture of, of these coins that they have, have dug up. Uh, and and this, is, this is what it looked like. Uh, handsome guy, right? A person in a 
chair, I guess, and some writing on it. And uh, it's very important that we kind of understand what's going on here in this moment. Um, So these coins were considered property of Caesar. And so Jesus, his specific thing, he says, whose likeness and whose inscription? And so on there, you saw, you saw a likeness, you saw like a profile picture, and then you saw some words written out around the outside. Um, so um, the likeness was uh, Tiberius Caesar Augustus. Um, and the reason why that's a significant question for Jesus to bring up as, as a Jewish man in a Jewish town is, is this. Uh, Exodus 20, 4 and 5, this is one of the commandments, says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything or that's in water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So they have rules but there's like the 10 big ones and this is one of them no graven images and this guy has carved his face into a coin so that that was alarming to them and then jesus also said whose inscription he's talking about the words are written around the outside of it and here's what's written in latin on this on the coin on one side it says augustus tiberius son of the divine augustus so he's saying, my dad, my dad is God, my dad is divine, I'm the son of him, so I am also divine. On the other side of the coin, it says, son of a god and high priest, because the emperors was function as high priests. So you have a graven image, and you have a declaration that uh, Caesar thinks that he is God. So if you were Jewish, and you had in mind all of these things, you would see this coin as a as like a literal like tangible piece of blasphemy it's a graven image which god said not to do he's declaring that he is god so it is mocking uh the true god of israel and so to them the coin i mean even the actual coin itself was uh was blasphemous to the point where most jews would not even touch it like they would try to pay the tax in local currency. They would not even want to be associated with these coins because of what they represented. And so this just pointed to the greater sense of Roman idolatry that, that we know on this side of history. But to them, they looked at Rome as this pagan culture full of idol worshipers, including their Caesar, who wants us to pay a tax in an idolatrous coin. Um, no wonder they, they just they felt torn between it. You know, they, weren't, they re- really weren't sure what to do. The religious leaders were using this as a trap, but the people really struggled with this. And so Jesus' answer, uh, once again, is incredibly brilliant. Look at verse 17. It says, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They marveled at this answer. And at first, I mean, at first glance, you're like, that's a pretty good answer, you know. I am, like, really, I told this to the early service, probably until, like, two weeks ago, I always thought that this meant uh, pay your taxes and pay your tithe, you know. Like, don't, don't forsake the taxes to pay the tithe. Don't forsake the tithe to pay the taxes. There's, the, God has blessed you. There's room, to, there's room for a, both of those things. And I think I believe that that's a true statement, but 
But as I began to study and I began to read these books by these really smart people, they all started pointing out this, all these other things that are going on. Like if you had Jewish ears, you would have heard different things happening in that moment. And if you were a part of the climate at the time, uh, not the weather climate, like the political social climate, you would have also heard very different things. Um, so what is the, what is this in an immediate context? Uh, well, he says, whose, whose image and likeness and inscription? Caesar's. So the coin, uh, he owns it. It has his, it, be- it bears his image. It has his inscription on it. So give it back to him. Like it's, it's clearly his, he's marked it. So give Caesar what's Caesar, it's his. And give God what is God's. So what bears the image of God? We do. The fact that Jesus, he targeted the image on the coin to convey a point of saying, yeah, that coin, yeah, it's got his face on it. It bears his image, give it back to him. You bear the image of God. You are, are, are a part of something bigger. There's something greater going on here in this moment than just uh, a tax issue. You are a part of something that is higher, higher than all of this. So yeah, pay, pay the tax. Pay the, paying the tax doesn't make Caesar your master. You already have a master. And guess what? Everything belongs to your master, including these coins of Caesar's. It's fine. Give it back to him. You already have a master. And so I, when I first like, started seeing that pattern in there, I was like, man, that is, that is beautiful right there. And then I started to read more, and they said, okay, that's a lot of these commentators and these Bible scholars were like, so that's, that's going on. But also, like, when, you, when you go deeper into the, into the social and political climate, he's also conveying some, some other things as well. That the issue, the issue that they needed to address, the religious leaders and the general public that's standing there watching this go on, um, the issue needing attention wasn't, it wasn't about their loyalty to Rome. The issue that needed to be addressed was their loyalty to Israel. Like to, to the nation that they were a part of. Um, by that I mean this. Their, their Jewish nationalism had created massive blind spots for them. Like, they, their quest was to see Israel return to world dominance. Um, they, wanted, they wanted the Messiah to be, this, to be a political and military leader who would return them to greatness and overthrow Rome. It was this, this kind of Jewish nationalism that was just a, a part of all of these conversations and a part of, of uh, the festival of Pentecost. Like it was just this, it was everywhere. It was this really heightened situation. And so what Jesus is telling them is like, hey, the issue is not really your loyalty to Rome. Like pay, give Caesar what Caesar, what Caesar's. The issue is you guys are super loyal to Israel and you're not real loyal to the God of Israel. Like you you have gotten too consumed 
the the story in the in the Bible is supposed to be, um, especially in the Old Testament, is that the nations were supposed to come through Israel and be marveled at the God of Israel, not the people. But it had become all about the people and all about the nation, and they had gotten so swept up in it that it had blinded them. In fact, it blinded them so much that they missed the Messiah who was in their very midst. And so what Jesus is doing uh, is he is correcting any hint of, of something that's been called dual citizenship. Because the reality is you, you have one citizenship. Like you, you have one, uh, there, there is one nation that you are a part of. There's, there's, it's just one it's not two, it's just one. So Philippians 3.20, Paul says that our, our citizenship is in heaven. So when I say dual citizenship for them, it would be like they were, they were thinking um, citizen of heaven and citizen of Israel and being equally loyal to both of those. That's why when Rome came in and was trying to insert itself in there, they're like, oh, there's not room for Rome because I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm a citizen of Israel. But that is a myth. Like that's not that's not real life. Um, God had set up had set them up not for dual citizenship, but for a single citizenship. In other words, what Jesus is is subtly communicating to them is this: Rome uh, Rome occupies the territory where you live, and Israel is the that's the ethnic group that you are a part of. But when it comes to your citizenship, there, there's, there's one kingdom that you're loyal to, that you pledge your allegiance to, that you answer to. You have one king, and he's the king of all kings, and one lord who's the lord of all lords. And he is over this kingdom that he has invited you into as his sons and his daughters. That is your only loyalty. That's what he's trying to help them see. So yeah, pay the tax. It's fine. That's not what's important here. What's important is that you, he, if he's speaking to the crowd, he's saying you've become so wrapped up in your own Israeli nationalism that you have missed the Messiah when you're supposed to be wrapped up in being God's people. And so that idea, I mean, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4. He says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. You think he's making his point? There's, there's just one. There's just a oneness here. That's, that's why they marveled at his response. If you're, thinking like, if, you, if you're thinking like I was, if he said, pay your taxes and pay your tithe, that's not a marvel at it answer, you know? But when Jesus has just challenged the order of your heart and mind and exposed the myth of dual citizenship and put this reframe into perspective, you kind of marvel at that because you're like, whoa, he, he, he just told us what's up. <laughs> and they marveled at his response. And the thing is, with us, we have to, we have to not only look at that and say, man... What a unique situation they were in. That must have been interesting for them. Because what they were dealing with uh, and that dual citizenship idea is not too different from what we also deal with. 
It's a part of growing up around us that there are multiple allegiances being asked of us. Multiple allegiances being asked of us from a very young age all the way into adulthood. And so it gets confusing because if you have a dual citizenship mindset, it's hard to know what to do when those things start to fight each other a little bit. And so for us, we have to hear what Jesus is saying to them and see how it applies to us. And I believe if we were to transfer this into our context, it would sound a little bit like this. America is where you live. And there are various ethnic and cultural groups that we're a part of, but, but as a Christian, your true citizenship and loyalty and allegiance is to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords and to his kingdom that he has invited us into as sons and daughters. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with loving America and being patriotic and uh, like there's the, I'm, I'm not putting all that stuff down in any way. What I'm saying is we are looking at Jesus reordering the hearts and minds of people and we have to bring ourselves into submission to that same idea. So I am a Christian who lives in America. And that can be hard to navigate, right? Especially in, let's just say that there was ever a season where there was an election coming up and it was super weird to be an American, right? Like right now, it's, it's just a bizarre time. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but it becomes a challenge of like, how, 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 do, how am I supposed to be a Christian through, through the next time, like through the end of 2020, in our political climate, what does it look like to be faithful? Um, well, I'm glad that you asked that, because uh, turn to First Peter chapter 2. Uh, the first tell you, I don't have any answers, but Peter, Peter has some answers. Turn to you might rec- recall this from our study of First Peter in community groups last spring, but he's writing to people who have been uh, who have been uh, exiled from where they lived because of persecution for being Christians, and he's writing to them and he's saying you basically he's communicating these ideas that you are living in a foreign land, trying to be faithful to Jesus, and I want to help you. Uh, know how to navigate those difficult waters. So the context is not that different than us. We're not, we don't have religious persecution pushing us into foreign lands, but, but we are living in tumultuous times and we need some guidance. And so this is a part of what he's writing to them. Um, let's start at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Let's let's stop right there. So, In a roundabout way, he's saying, 
through us honoring the leaders and structures put into place by, and by that, I don't just, I don't only mean like politicians. I mean like all these structures in, in our world and let's contextualize it. Let's make it America. All the things that are in place, all the moving parts, all the things about, um, like being an American, uh, he says to, uh, to submit to that, like to, um, to become a part of that. And by doing good in those ways, uh, you put to silence the foolishness of the world. And I was, really, I was trying to think through that. I was like, what, is that? what does that even mean? You know, like, you look at a world that's full of instability, and what Peter is saying to them and to us is, hey, how about you guys go and be super stable? And what happens is that uh, the foolishness of the world starts to expose itself as being foolish, and it just gets silenced. Because you have a group of people who are living for something greater. And I could kind of grab onto that a little bit, and I was like, okay, I, I, I mean, it makes sense, but... Then I started thinking about Paul... How, like, how, how would Paul address this? In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I was like, okay, that. That to me is putting a, a term with what Peter is saying about what, is, what does it mean to do good in the midst of all these, these structures and, how to, and, and, and trying to, to honor these, these things and it's the will of God by doing good and putting silent, how does that look like? I'm like, okay, I put, pull all that underneath the umbrella of this idea of being an ambassador. It's like that. That's something I can grab onto. What is, what is an ambassador? Um, in, a, in our like, in a worldly sense, an ambassador is a citizen of one kingdom who goes and lives in another kingdom for an extended period of time in order to accomplish a task. And they're there to, to represent their homeland, to represent their king and his kingdom on his behalf. And so, in a political sense, the U.S. has ambassadors in all these countries, and they are U.S. citizens who are living in these other countries for an extended period of time, representing the United States and our government and our interests. I'm like, okay, I, that, that kind of makes some more sense. So instead of dual citizenship, where I am equally an American and a Christian, Jesus says, okay, let's put that, let's put that over to the side. You are only a Christian. You're a Christian who is an ambassador who has, like, through God's like, plan, it said, I, for this particular ambassador, you're going to live in America. So I, I'm, a citizen of the, I'm a citizen of heaven who lives in America, and I represent my king and his kingdom in this foreign land to where this is not my home. It's where I live. It's, it's important. It's meaningful. It's, it's all these things. Like my ambassadorship here is, uh, it, it should be full of goodness and truth and grace and all those things. But, but I'm not, this is not my home home. I'm here representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords.
but I'm here with great purpose, but this is not my home. Now that makes no sense at all if you're if you if we have that dual citizenship mindset. But if we're, but if we're thinking the way that Jesus is pointing us, and the way that Peter and Paul help I- I expand upon, then it starts to really it's like okay that that makes a lot more sense. And th- and in that sense, when when I have all those things in, in mind, then then the political climate that we're in right now it shifts, you know, it stops feeling so, uh, I stop feeling so anxious. It stops feeling so ultimate, you know, I'm not saying that it's not important by any means. What is happening is important. It is important that we in- engage the issues that we educate ourselves. And it is important that we vote is it is important that we do all of those things. I'm not saying they're unimportant. I'm just saying that they should not be more important than they actually are when your citizenship is in heaven. And sometimes it feels like they start to carry more weight than they're supposed to, doesn't it? Like when, when you get in a conversation and you feel the anxiety rising, you, you sense the fear in our whole culture, like all around this election, like people are getting antsy, you know, and then, and then just things keep happening, you know. You, the debate the other night, everyone's like, what is going on? And then the president gets COVID and he's been airlifted to the hospital. You're like, what is happening? And if you have dual citizenship, you are freaking out right now. But if you're thinking I'm a citizen of heaven who's an ambassador here, you're not freaking out. You, you can be concerned, you can be prayerful, you can, you know, like there, there's a healthy way to engage it but you're just not wigging out over what's going on. Then he says, verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So we're free, not because we're Americans. We're free because of the blood of Jesus, right? 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 Uh, okay, all right. I'm going to assume that y'all are enthusiastic about that. <laughs> we're free, not because we're Americans. We're free because Christ has freed us. And he says, live like you're free. And what, is the, is it, what does it mean? Well, be servants. That's what he says at the end of the verse. Your freedom is not so you can just go do whatever you want. You're free from being self-obsessed to being able to like serve the Lord and serve other people, to have the mindset of considering others more important than yourself. And so not only are we supposed to navigate this as ambassadors who are doing, who are doing good and following the will of the Father as ambassadors, we're also looking at everything as an opportunity to serve other people. That that's what real freedom looks like. So Peter is helping these exiles, he's helping us under, understand that this is what it means to be a citizen of heaven who is an ambassador in the U.S. in 2020. It's serving other people. It's, uh, it's, it's being subject to the structures that are in place. It, it's voting. It's educating yourself. It's, uh, like it, it, it is all of these things, but all of them carrying the right amount of weight because you know, you know where your home is. And so in one sense, this election is really, really important. But in a different sense, it, it's not as important as our emotions sometimes make it feel, you know? 
And I know some of you are like, this dude needs to shut up. <laughs> but, but just hear what Christ is saying. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Like let, let, let a mer- like be a part of all that, honor that, be a, participate on, in all that. But that is not your master. We, are, we give ourselves to something greater, which is obedience to our God and being able to serve the people around us. In verse 17, he makes these four statements. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And when I read that, I, I just, I had to stop for a second, and here's why. Um, the 2016 election, um, and then 12, like the last couple of elections, as I've been in ministry, it's really not something that I have, uh, I feel like I haven't done a good job pastorally of like shepherding the congregation toward the election and through elections and then beyond. Um, It's been a little bit just kind of like reactive, you know. And I've been asking the Lord for uh, three years and nine months now to help me do a better job this time around. And... So I've been asking him, like, Lord, can you, I, I just, we, we need some direction, something that we can rally around so that we're praying together, so that we're, we're that our bearings are straight through this. Um, because our congregation, like, if you were to, if, if you were to look at our, our congregation on a political spectrum, we cover it, you know, one end to the other. And that going forward in this particular time, it's, it, it could get weird, you know? And so when I read those four statements, the Lord was like, that's it. That's for living hope. That's, that's what you need to be praying in the next month and probably the month after that and the month after that. Can we look at these really quickly as I close? Take this as a vision casting, and you're going to hear these again and see these again. The first one, honor everyone. I think that comes down to us treating treating everybody with respect. Especially people who see things differently than you do. Maybe you're taking a different position on the election or certain candidates or certain issues. Because everybody talking about this and social media is doing what social media does which is a whole other thing but for us as ambassadors as citizens of heaven living here can we just honor everybody can we not pick fights can we not get lured into things can we can we just be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen slow to become angry Right? James says that's, that's what wisdom looks like in this. So, honor everyone. The second thing, love the brotherhood. Not the, like the, the church brotherhood, like the, the family of God. Um, do you realize how easily this could be a divisive thing interpersonally within our church? Uh, there's just a couple of issues that are 
polarizing, and I don't know if there's maybe only one other one I'm thinking of that's as polarizing as this. And, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. There are churches that will get into deep battles over this. Um, and it, it, how, how foolish would that be of us? If we let something like a political election in a, in a foreign land, okay, become something that splits up the brothers and sisters in the church. So look, like, we're going to talk about it, we're going to pray about it, we're going to see things differently, but it does not have to be divisive. That we can work together to maintain what Paul says, calls the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It could divide us, but with God's help, will not. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Third one, fear God. Now fear is not mean, is not like... I'm terrified of God. It means I, I have a respect and a reverence for God. And I think that what that is, is saying for us is, do we trust his sovereignty over this or not? Like, could you either trust him or you don't. And I believe an expression of this is us being able to say, uh, to us being able to have our, have our opinions, vote how we vote, have certain hope uh, outcomes hoping for and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, whoever wins is not going to shake the unshakable kingdom of God. It will not. It is not a threat to our king. It is not a threat to our kingdom. It's not a, th- it's not a threat to us as ambassadors. It's going to be okay. Now, don't hear me saying that the election doesn't matter. Okay, those things matter. People are impacted by all this stuff. It matters. Um, but it will not throw God off the throne of the universe. And so by respecting God through this, we have to keep acknowledging who's, who's the here. It's not the popular vote or the electoral college. God is the boss. So honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. And lastly, honor the emperor. And rather than focusing this, uh, you probably immediately think the president, but instead of focusing on him, let's, uh, this is how I'd like us to approach this. Um, you have Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Donald Trump, Mike Pence. All four of them bear the image of God, just like you do, just like I do, just like your kids do. Uh, They all deserve dignity and respect through this. Unfortunately, they get treated like mascots. You know, they get they get treated like they're not actual people, but they are. And so can we honor the emperor in meaning like those four people? Can we just be honorable about them? I mean, the things that I have read said about all four of them at different points. By Christians, it's heartbreaking to watch that tearing down happen. But we don't have to fall in that trap. Uh, we, can, we can honor them, even if honoring them for you needs to be silence. <laughs> Can we honor them as fellow image bearers through this process? Um, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I believe that God brought me and us to verse 17 as a way for us to pray over the next several weeks and maybe months to remind us of what it looks like to be a 
Christian in America, to be an ambassador of God's kingdom in a foreign land, to be able to love America but not see it as our master because we have a master, that this is for us what rendering to Caesar looks like and more importantly, rendering to God was God's. So, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I don't know uh, how you feel whenever politics and the church like, get close together like this, but I really don't see this as a political thing, as a political message. I think this is, this, I think this is about uh, us as how do we follow Jesus down the path of righteousness through a situation that tends to get the better of a, of a lot of people in our world. And so I hope you hear the voice of your shepherd, not, not me, your pastor, your chief shepherd, uh, drawing, you, drawing you into goodness through this. And so uh, I'm going uh, to pray for us, and we're going to sing a little bit. And whatever God may be stirring in you, you, you feel empowered, you might feel convicted, you might, you might just wish I would be quiet, and that's fine. Uh, um, whatever you need to do with the Lord, we're going to sing and give him that time to tend to us before we go together. So why don't you stand as the musicians come back. Let me pray over us. Lord, um, I'm so thankful for uh, for these snapshots of Jesus that we get, where um, in one in one moment, Jesus, you're able to to say so much, and of course, we need to we need to hear a lot of things from you. There's very few people I come in contact with who, who feel great about the state of the world right now and our country in particular. And so I ask that you would use all this together to help us, to help us get a, a sense of, and just a reminder of our, where our stability comes from, of what kingdom we are loyal to, where our true home is, and where our real hope is found. And so if we are anxious and need to be settled, then I pray that we would be receptive to that. And if fear has been dominant, I pray that you would speak to that as well. And um, if that myth of dual citizenship has, has worked its way into our minds and our hearts, I pray that you just pull out the weeds. Um, that you just meet us where we are. And as we sing, may this be a, a time for us to process things and um, just to, to meet with you in a, as we have been doing the whole time.